Thanks, Andrew. Yes, yeah, a lot of, uh, in just the testimonies of his children, uh, a lot happened, a lot of prayers were offered, uh, a lot of faith was put on the line to the Lord. But praise the Lord. Andrew's here to testify, as you've heard today, that God is a healing God. And despite his attitude, <laughs> he got filled with the Holy Spirit as well. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, all right, we're going to open our Bible now because we believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's a unique book written by men over a period of 1,500 years in two different languages, 40 different authors, not one contradiction, inspired by the Lord. God is a spirit and inspired these holy men of God, as the Bible says, to write what he wanted them to write. And so here we have the Word of God in our laps. All other books are written by men, but this one here is inspired by the Lord. And the Bible says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So we're going to turn to um, John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 13. We had this in the chorus session. I asked Angelo if he, he would uh, have that particular chorus. And we're going to read about it here. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. This is just before the Passover. The Passover was a Jewish feast day. And <clears throat> Jesus was actually going to become the Passover or the Lamb of God, as the Bible puts it, that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. That includes you and I. Um, so just before that, he's gathered together with his disciples um, Judas Iscariot, the one that would betray, betray him, was there. And uh, Judas has just uh, left the room at this point and, and he's out to go and uh, talk to the people to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's another story. But in verse 34, we pick it up and Jesus is telling them, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this love, and by the keeping of this commandment, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So, as I said, he's about to give his life uh, for us all. In fact, in uh, two chapters further on, in John chapter 15, he will go on to say that the greatest love that any man could have is that he would lay down his life for his friends. That, by the way, if you go down to uh, the Shrine of Remembrance here in Melbourne, my favourite building in Melbourne, um, there is a grave there of a soldier, a soldier who died in battle, but he's unknown. It's actually called the Grave of the Unknown Soldier. And on the 11th day of the 11th month at 11am on Remembrance Day, the sun comes down through the top of the Shrine of Remembrance and shines on this particular grave of the unknown soldier. And the scripture that is written upon the grave is, no greater love can any man have. So there's a soldier who sacrificed his life in battle for the belief of what his country stood for. Um, and, uh, well, Jesus actually spoke those words, no greater love than to lay down your life for another and that's what this new commandment is all about. As I said, Judas had just gone out to betray him. 
he had just previously, earlier on in this chapter, washed their feet, which is a very humbling thing to do. But he was setting the example for how this commandment was going to be fulfilled in their lives. In fact, in verse 12, if you go back, and still in John 13, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Very recently here in this hall we had a prayer and fast meeting and many of you were here and we heard a talk by a brother Steve Gillespie who's actually over in the UK at the moment about feet, about how your feet walk through this world and they pick up all sorts of things, particularly if you're wearing sandals like they probably were, uh, all the bits and pieces that you would pick up in this world it's our feet that makes contact with uh, this earth. And, uh, and of course, uh, the lowest of the servants in a household would be given this job, this very humble job of bringing you into the household and then washing your feet and removing all the, the, the dirt and the grime and all the stuff that uh, you've picked up uh, walking through this world and to refresh you, uh, to, to renew you, to wash your feet to serve you in that way. And that was, uh, as I said, by a very humble servant. And Jesus is saying here, I am your master and Lord. You say, well, for I, so I am. In fact, one day he will be crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, that's where God will place his son in the, in the plan of the Lord. However, he's saying, here I am down here washing your feet. Just remember that example Remember what I'm doing to you. Remember that I am well able to humble myself, that you may be ministered to, that you may be refreshed, that you may be encouraged. Uh, and so he's setting the example about the new commandment up for them. He's saying, a new commandment I'm going to give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and I've given you the example on how you do it. And in fact, the Bible says in the book of Titus that the mercy and the love of God... Is, shed, is given to us by the washing and renewing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You've already heard in the testimony, Andrew's testimony, how he went, he stayed on for that second meeting with a view of proving it all wrong, said a hallelujah, spoke forth in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, and that's what happened. You know, that's what happens by receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Of course, God is able to restore us, to renew us, to minister to us, uh, and to bring us uh, to his new life. Praise the Lord. So the talk here today is all about fulfilling this new commandment. In fact, I've called it a new commandment I give unto you. If you're new here today, welcome. And uh, this is what Jesus Christ would have you to receive. His spirit, his love, shed abroad in your heart, your personal experience of receiving the Lord by receiving the Holy Spirit. All right? Um, it's all about God's love for us, really, this new commandment. It's all about his son's love for us. It's all amplified in the fact that he would uh, serve us, lay down his life for us, be risen from the dead, 
restored to his father's right hand and being able to unleash the power of God, the Holy Ghost and fire, that we may be spirit-filled. In fact, I heard on Wednesday night, I was at the, out at the East meeting and there was a talk given by Rob there who was saying about the Ten Commandments. A lot of people say we've got to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, yes, Ten Commandments were given in the Old Testament. And in essence, Jesus summed them all up as to what they were about. In the New Testament, Jesus said the Ten Commandments and everything else that God gave us in the Old Testament is summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind and soul, loving your neighbour as yourself. All the prophets and all the commandments and all the law hangs on this, on fulfilling these two commandments. And here in verse 34 and 35, as we read there, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He's amplifying it and distilling it down to the whole essence of what this book and the love of God and salvation and the church and Jesus Christ and the eternal life that is promised is all about. A new covenant, a new testament. Uh, in the blood of Jesus Christ, God established a new covenant is fulfilled in obeying this commandment. There's three parts to this commandment. He says, as I have loved you. So if we're going to fulfill this commandment and what God has destined for us all, which is the promise of eternal life, it's hard to imagine, I know, but it's true. God has promised it and he's not a man that he should lie. So... If we're ever going to receive that and fulfil that and have that wonderful hope of meeting Jesus Christ at his coming, then, of course, we've got to practise this commandment. And uh, there's three parts, as I said, how I have loved you. Well, I'd like to spend a little bit of time on that. And then he says, well, how I have loved you, you practise it amongst yourselves. Love one another in the same way. Learn of me. And do it amongst you. And then he goes on to say, that's how you'll be known. You want to be known as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? Fulfill this commandment. You know, so I'd just like to touch on the more, uh, uh, just briefly, uh, focusing mainly, I guess, on the brotherly love aspect of it all. If you want to, uh, if you want to see Christ alive in you, well, this is uh, an important commandment uh, to obey. You know, the whole drive of Jesus Christ, when you think about how I have loved you, as we already looked at his example in the washing of the feet, but his whole life was devoted to that end. His whole commitment, his whole drive was my life for you, my love for you, my serve for you to live, my service for you to live, you know, to provide for you, to care for you, to heal you, to save your soul. I'm totally devoted and committed to that end. And we need to get a, a bit of an appreciation and insight out of, into that because he said, in the same way that I have loved you is the way you are to fulfil this commandment amongst yourselves. You know, the fact that I will reconcile you to God. I will forgive your sin. My blood will cover you now. My Holy Spirit will give you a new life. You'll be reconciled to the Lord. No longer will you be separate in some 
religious organisation or living your life as an atheist or wondering what life's all about, you'll be reconciled, you'll know, you'll become the temple of the Holy Ghost. You know, and <clears throat> this is the new commandment. So learn of me, you know, allow me to teach you, allow me to show you, allow yourself to experience that love for yourself and then, of course, you'll be able to fulfil it. In fact, uh, you go from a... It's a remarkable transformation that the Lord is taking us from, I guess, a self-centred people to being centred on completely someone else, as he was. In fact, the Bible says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honour, preferring one another. Romans 12, verse 10. So it's a quantum shift. It's a big leap to go from where we were to being able to, well, in honour, preferring one another and serving one another the way the Lord would have us. In fact, we'll go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. <coughs> Maybe just to help us get a bit of a an appreciation of this aspect of how he loved us. And maybe in verse uh, 6, I was trying to tell a man at w uh, that I have uh, weekly contact with, um, he's interested to come to know the Lord, and um, we were just talking about this aspect of the love of God. And uh, I, I quoted these verses to him and he, he remarked how unique and how remarkable this is. Well, it is remarkable. It's God-given. It's beyond human comprehension and human capacity. This is of the Lord. Uh, for when you were yet without strength, this is verse 6, Romans 5, verse 6, for when you were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And the ungodly was all of us. We were ungodly. We put him on the cross, you know, and yet he's going through it for us. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Well, you know, maybe you'll go off and fight a war and sacrifice your life for the ideals in which you believe in and for the defence of your family and friends. But that's Jesus Christ goes a bit beyond all of that. But God, uh, <clears throat> but God commends his love towards us. That's important. This is what the first command, uh, that, that f a new commandment is all about. Learn how to love as I have loved you. How is that? He commends his love towards us in that while you were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of the cross of Christ, while we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and all the promises of God, he gave his life for us. Right? In fact, the Bible says that he could look, look down through the eyes of faith to a day when you would sit here in 45 uh, Talbot Avenue, Baldwin, uh, you know, and, and, and see you fill with the Holy Spirit. 
and rejoicing in the Lord. He could see that, the joy that was set before him, the fact that people would have the opportunity to be born again, that you could be here now filled with the Holy Ghost, praising the Lord, magnifying him, living for him, looking forward to his coming. That's what he could see. And for that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame of it all, but he endured it for you and I, all the people said. So that's what we've got to get our head around and lay it to heart. That's what we've got to pray in by the power of the Holy Spirit. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved. The word sozo in the Greek means every whit whole, completely healed, restored, physically, mentally, spiritually, of course, uh, from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, (coughs) we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Sinners, enemies, totally against him, and now totally reconciled and one with God. From an enemy to a child of God, to being a partaker in the family of God. It is unique. It is remarkable. And that's why I cannot see it, ear cannot hear it, neither can it enter into the heart of man, this love that God has prepared for those that desire him you know it only comes through the revelation of the holy ghost in fact if we go back uh, in um, in romans 5 and verse 5 it says and hope makes not a shame because the love of god that we've been talking so much about already is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost which is given to them it's only the holy spirit that will give you an insight an appreciation an experience of what it's like for Christ to die for you while you were still dead in your trespass and sin and give you the grace of God, which is the Holy Spirit. So praise the Lord. That's that's what God is commending to us. In fact, in verse 11, uh, it says, And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Yes, it is a time to rejoice to give praise, to give thanks because we appreciate how much he has achieved for us. So we need to stir up the Holy Ghost where every time we speak in tongues, effectually, fervently pressing into the Lord, we are shedding the love of God abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Every time we're inspired to pick up the Bible and read it and allow it to have an impact in our life, we're allowing that love to be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and it's vital that we ag- uh, agitate and stir up the gift of the Spirit that lies within us. That's the only way we're going to know about uh, the, this, this way that he has loved us. If we go to First Thessalonians, just a bit, a couple of books further on. First Thessalonians and chapter 1. What he's saying is, if you understand it, if it's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, then practice it. That's how you'll be known. He set up a church, a body of people filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is. 
It's not the Anglican Church. It's not the Catholic Church. It's not the Calathumpian Church, the Baptist Church, or whatever other name you want to plaster on it. People filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, are baptised into one body, the church, the body of Christ. That's how you become a member. That is his church, all the people said. He, he brings people in. He fills them with the Holy Ghost. He makes members of himself as the head of the church and members of one another. Forget the Pope. He's just the head of some organisation which is going the wrong way. He, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church. He doesn't need any visible representative on this earth. The Holy Ghost is his representative. His word is his representative. His spirit lives within us. And so he's raised up his church and the express sole purpose of the church is to fulfil the new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And all the people said. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, and we, we're just going to read a few verses here just to give you an appreciation of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was very, very involved in setting up the New Testament church. He was the, the main apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, he preached the gospel far and wide, including to the Romans there that we read just a little while ago. And, uh, and you can see by these few verses how much the church means to him, as it should to all of us, really. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, in, unto the church at, Thess at the uh, Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So an amazing introduction. This is who we are. This is how we've come to know the Lord through his grace. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labour of love, your patience, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. So there's words of great affection and unity and, and desire for the people of the Lord here in, Thessalon in Thessalonica. So uh, he mentions in verse 3, three of the great things, the Bible says there are three great things that remain, hope, faith and love. And the greatest of all is love, of course. And here in verse 3, he mentions all three of them. Faith, the labour of love, and the patience of hope, because Jesus Christ is going to return. This world is in a mess. Right? It's just fulfilling Bible prophecy, that's all. Running out its time, the age is coming to an end, and a new age will be ushered in when Jesus Christ returns, and every eye shall see, and every knee shall bow to him and his name and what he has done of course he, he will return and he will return for the people in his church who are, have the faith who have the hope and have the love of God and are practicing that love as fulfillment of that new commandment in chapter 2 perhaps in verse 7 we see here how he has a desire to impart that love to his brethren. Uh, just to, uh, but we were gentle among you, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 7, among you, even as a nurse 
uh, cherishes her children. So that's how he deals with his brothers and sisters in Christ, wanting to cherish them, wanting to value them, wanting to, to nurture them in the Lord. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear to us. Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labour and travail for labouring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. We are witnesses and God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So he gives a little summary of practising that love amongst his brethren. First of all, the desire to nurture them, to impart the Lord onto them, you know, to love them as Christ had loved him, obviously. His attitude towards them, it governed his whole conduct and behaviour towards them, how holily, how unblamingly we behaved among you. His conduct was such a good testimony. Why? Because he wanted to practice the love of God towards his brethren. And the tremendous effort, the effort, the work, the diligent uh, slog, really. I mean, here he's referring to the fact that he worked with his own hands so that he wouldn't be chargeable to the church in any way whatsoever. But he put in is the point here. He put effort and time and energy and labour of love into the church, labouring night and day to edify them, to build them up in the Lord. It's a brilliant snapshot of how this commandment is practised, you know. And, uh, and I love the summary. At the end of verse 2, perhaps a couple of my very favourite verses, uh, but... Um, as I said, Jesus Christ is returning and the whole purpose of the church coming together and practising that new commandment is that you may be ready for that return. If you haven't yet been born again, you need to today. You need to be baptised, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ could return any moment. No man knows the hour, but we're living in the last days. We know that from Bible prophecy. So the whole church... And the fulfilment of this new commandment is to make people ready and prepared for the return of Christ. When he comes, the church goes up. Hopefully, all together, all the people said. All of one accord, all of one mind, all with the love of God, all practising the new commandment. We go up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is a reality. That is the truth. I still find it after 37 years of being in the Lord, hard to believe that it's going to happen. The Bible declares that it's going to happen. Everything else has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ will return with power and great glory and his church will be raised to meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the whole essence of practising this commandment is with that aim in mind, preparing your brother, preparing your sister preparing the unsaved to come in and be born again that they may be ready to meet their Lord at his coming. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? To me, a crown is like the pinnacle. You know, you crown a king. You put a crown of precious jewels upon his head to say, this is the king, this is the ultimate, this is the pinnacle. 
This is the best that could be. You crown someone. Well, to me, it's like this is the crown of what it's all about. This is the crown of the church, the ultimate of what we're all about. Our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and our joy. So the whole drive to help one another, to be there when Jesus Christ returns, is the crown of rejoicing. It's the ultimate. It's the pinnacle of life. It's, it's the best thing you could possibly be involved in. You know, the crowning of the church is that we make it with the Lord, each and every one of us. The ultimate achievement, that we rise together to be with the Lord forever. And there's great joy in it, obviously. Uh, that's the heart of the fellowship. There's a drive of it. And it must drive everything. You know, uh, this is not about being nice. You can go and join any sort of organisation around the place and be nice. You know, there's plenty of social uh, organisations where people practice being nice to one another. It's not about being nice. It's about helping one another, putting each other, putting yourself out for one another, uh, giving direction if necessary, giving correction if necessary, being an example wherever possible of what it is and who it is that's going to meet Jesus Christ at his coming. So everything has to be governed. What comes out of your mouth has to be governed by, will this help my brother or sister make it with the Lord? Will this help them to rise when Jesus Christ returns? If you, have, if you see something that needs correction, you have to do it. Why? Because you love that person and you want to see them ready and prepared and rising to meet the Lord at his coming. You know, that, that's, that's how it's practised amongst the brethren. This focus must govern our behaviour, as Paul said way back here. All of our effort, all of our energy was to impart Christ onto you. Yes, of course. And so it must be. This is no ordinary meeting. This is a revival meeting. This is a Holy Ghost meeting. This is not a be nice to one another meeting. This is to provoke one another to love and good works, to stir one another up, to encourage one another. It's essential that we are here. Why? Because it, sets, it sends a message, a powerful message, an important message that this is important. This is where we belong. This is what Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood and this is a church that will meet him in the air and all the people said. That's what we believe. You've got to embrace it. You've got to believe it. You've got to be part of it, of course. So this is no ordinary meeting at all, but rather a meeting where the love of God is practised. And if that means stirring one another up, so be it. If that means, uh, you know, uh, encouraging, being gentle, nurturing, whatever it is, so it is. You know, wanting your brother to meet the Lord in the air must govern everything we do. Everything we say, what we think towards them, our judgments, our behaviour, our conduct. It's got to be at the heart of everything. Ask the question, will this help? Will this help my brother or sister make it with the Lord? If the answer is yes, do it with all your might and with all your heart. Go the extra mile, just put in whatever you can. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be two mites, as the widow woman gave, but it was wholehearted 
It was everything she had, praise the Lord, and the Lord commended her for it. If it's not helpful, you know, if it's just you sounding off about you or you being a bit disgruntled or you, you're necking a knot in some way and you've got to, you know, got to get back at someone, well, forget it. On your knees, pray about it. You know, if it's not helpful, don't say it, don't do it. If it's not going to identify. The Lord said to Cain right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 4, where is Abel your brother? Where is he? I mean, God knew where he was. He'd already killed him. And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? That's the question that Cain asked of God. Well, the answer is, yes, you are. Yes, I have given you a commandment to love one another as I have loved you. Yes, you are responsible. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you have been given a a God-given charge and a God-given responsibility to want to see them make it with the Lord and what you do must be towards that end. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 3. Oh, look, we won't go there. I think I'm running. Um, In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. So it's always been the the message. You know, right from the time of Cain and Abel, brother and brother, the message has always been, do not kill your brother, but care for him. Be his keeper. Look after him. In fact, uh, verse 14 of that same passage in 1 John chapter 3 says, we know we are passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. So there you go. Want life? Well, love your brethren. If you, if you want to abide in death, well, I certainly don't. Well, then don't worry about your brethren. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. We are here, of course, to do whatever we can to serve them and to help them be there when the Lord returns. It's the crown. It's the pinnacle. It's the joy of the Lord. It's all of those things that we read about. And, by the way, there is <coughs> tremendous personal blessing in it. Uh, on Friday, I had the opportunity to catch up with Pastor William. Pastor William's from Bali. Pastor William was preaching here last Sunday. His mum and dad are here today. And uh, Robert's mum and dad as well. Um, but uh, Pastor William, you know, uh, he came to the Lord here in Melbourne in 2004, as we know. But today, he and a fellow pastor, Pastor Teddy, uh, pretty much are responsible for 450 spirit-filled people across about six islands uh, in Indonesia. It's a big job. But, uh, you know, since his involvement there, he was just, uh, you know, he's, he's had uh, some tough times. He's lived in a shoebox occasionally. He's, uh, you know, all sorts of things have happened along the way. Uh, but, uh, you know, you could tell just talking to him, the, the tremendous blessing uh, in this man's life and his and his family's life, really, uh, all he wants to do is uh, help the church, minister the church, and carry the church. And he's had a, the ride of his life. He's just talking about 
the, the places he's been, the, the people he's met, uh, the, the many outpouring, uh, the many people that have received the Holy Spirit, the great miracles he had witnessed, the, the lives restored and healed and set free by the Lord. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't trade it for anything. It's just been such a, a wonderful blessing to him. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. We'll go there, I think, and just try and sort of wrap, wrap a few things up here. Mark chapter 2. Yeah, he's had the ride of his life, William has. <laughs> I think he said here last week he's baptised himself personally, over 900 people. So, um, and I'm not saying we can all do what Pastor William does, but the whole attitude and drive and desire it must be to fulfil that commandment. We see here some people who are not mentioned by name, but boy, oh boy, their, their attitude and their effort and their desire to see someone else blessed is just an absolute standout. In fact, Jesus Christ commended them for it. Um, and we see here in verse 1 of uh, Mark chapter 2, And again he entered into Capernaum uh, after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. So this is Jesus in this place, in this house. And straight away <coughs> many were gathered together, insomuch there was no, <coughs> there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. So you've got a packed house listening to Jesus Christ preaching uh, the kingdom to them. <clears throat> and then come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. Now, this guy was obviously on some sort of stretcher, portable bed thing, uh, which, uh, and he had this thing called the palsy, which is a paralysis, uh, quite often accompanied by sort of involuntary tremors and so on. So that's what he had. So he was uh, laying on this uh, stretcher, and he was born of four. No names, but four friends, four men who carried him. And it says there that when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So you've got to picture this. They can't get in the room. They can't get their friend, who needs a healing, obviously, uh, to Jesus Christ. So they will go to incredible lengths here. They get, they get on the roof. They rip open the roof. They get the stretcher up on the roof and then get the guy down in front of Jesus uh, in the middle of the whole crowded room. So they, they make quite a diligent effort. They wanted to make sure their friend got to Jesus Christ. Their friend couldn't get there. So they made sure that he got there. He was born of four. Four great mates. You know, um, we know this is before the Holy Spirit was poured out, but they'd be four great brothers to have in the Lord. You know, who, who uh, go the extra mile who won't let uh, the crowd stop them or, you know, the, the roof on, or anything. They'll just do whatever they can with all their effort to get their friend in contact with Jesus Christ because he had great need. And that happens. That happens in our life. It happens in our fellowship. People have great needs. You know, and, uh, and we've got to do what we can as they did. I love to be one of these guys because look what Jesus says to them. When Jesus, in verse 5, saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, 
thy sins be forgiven. He wasn't healed there and then. He was, he was forgiven. He was reconciled to the Lord. As I said, this is before the Holy Spirit. He didn't receive the Holy Ghost as such, but his sins were forgiven. That's what the Lord said. Uh, so, uh, of course, the scribes uh, who were sitting around the place, uh, you know, reasoned in their heart, well, who does this bloke think he is? that he can forgive sin, only God can forgive sin, you know, and uh, they, you know, they're thinking that Jesus is blaspheming by saying these things, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus knows all this, he sees their reasonings in their hearts, and uh, perhaps in verse 10 he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, Go thy way into thine own house. And immediately he arose, <clears throat> took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen it on this fashion. So they were being known, all right, for the power of God in their midst. And uh, here's this man now, he's forgiven, he's reconciled, he's healed. Uh, delivered from his paralysis and everything else. He can, doesn't have to lie in a bed anymore. And by the way, that's how faith works. You want to see a miracle today? Well, put your faith in the Lord. Put your trust in his promises. By his stripes, we are healed and set free. We are made every whit whole. We are saved and we can be restored and we can be physically healed. And there are many testimonies right here in this room of people that have been healed of all manner of sickness and disease because the Bible promises that. So here's this man totally restored. Why? Because four mates were prepared to go the extra mile and do whatever they could to get him in touch with the Lord. And sometimes that's what we've got to do. We've got to go the extra mile, do the praying for them, give them the encouragement, put our arm around them, help them do whatever we can to get them in contact with the Lord. People have stories to tell. People have all sorts of issues happen in their life. People have broken hearts and people have uh, illnesses and so on that knock them around. By all means, listen to them. <coughs> but ultimately, <coughs> I've got what you got, Pastor Chris. You might have to take over. Um, ultimately, the whole idea is to bring them to Jesus Christ who can heal them, bless them, restore them, forgive them, Make them every whit whole. Amen. All the people said. Amen. Amen. Good on you, Pastor Chris. Thank you for that. <coughs> uh, all right. I will try and wind this up. How we are known. Well, as I said here, at the, yeah, God was glorified. We've never seen it in this fashion. Well, thanks to these born or four, these four men, uh, a great miracle takes place and God is glorified and people know that they put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the church is a place where every effort's got to be made you know, for the word of salvation to be preached. That's why we have outreach. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we witness. We want to see people who have not yet known the Lord, not yet been born again, not yet filled with the Holy Ghost, to come and taste that the Lord is good, that the Lord is gracious, that the Lord can save them, that the Lord can forgive them, that the Lord can heal them, that the Lord can restore them, that they can be blessed and healed and restored by the Holy Ghost. We're a revival fellowship. 
This is where there's a commitment, where we just want to give everybody a shot, Any, everybody, anybody we can help. As these guys, they could help this guy, they helped him. They put their whole might into this, their whole effort into this. And that's what Revival Fellowship is about, doing whatever we can to give people a shot at being in front of Jesus, in contact with Jesus, healed of the Lord, forgiven of the Lord, restored by the Lord. You know, it's a place where, uh, well, we're preparing people, practising the love of God amongst ourselves with that one intention. How do I practise it? Will this help my brother make it when Jesus Christ returns? If it will, then you do it with all our might. And there's great blessing in the, in the giving. As Jesus said, if you give with that attitude, it'll be pressed down, shaken together. The blessing of God will run out in your life. There's a lot of things you can do in life, lots of things. You can get involved in and fiddle around with. The Bible says it's all pretty vain. It's all pretty empty. It's here for a moment, gone tomorrow. It's a vapour. What you know? Uh, there's a scripture in James that talks about the great plans that people make to do this and do that and do the other. And and the, you know the Bible says, well, what are you doing all this planning for? You're here today, gone tomorrow. Shouldn't you just rather consider the Lord? You know, shouldn't you rather consider what life is really all about? As we said before, if you love not your brother, you abide in death. But if you love your brother, then the life of God is within you. So the pinnacle of life, the ultimate of life, is about meeting the Lord and about doing everything we can in the church to help others meet the Lord in the air. That's obvious. You know, Romans 16. We'll just finish on this scripture. Like I said, there's a lot of things you can do, but the crown of life, the pinnacle of achievement, is fulfilling that new commandment. Romans 16. It's again the Apostle Paul. And, uh, well, the last part of that commandment is all about being known. First of all, about knowing the love of the Lord. Secondly, practising the love of the Lord, obviously. And finally, of course, being known as disciples of Jesus Christ. Being known by what you practise in your life. And we saw there the born of four were known for bringing this man to Jesus Christ and, of course, the work of God being glorified in his life. Here are some people at the end of the book of Romans uh, where Paul is commending them to you and I. You know, uh, as I said, you can do many, many things in life, but the ultimate is to get your name in this book. And these people have got their names in this book. Why? Because they loved as brothers and sisters, because they knew what brotherly love was all about. They practiced the new commandment. And what Paul is telling, saying here is these people knew their responsibilities and they did it with all their might. And they are great examples in the church that we should aspire to be like. In fact, in verse 1 it says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Now, it's a bit of a, a long shot, but the word Phoebe... Uh, has, means uh, like a shining light is what I read about, and I, or bright and shining. I checked it with Nick. It's sort of a bit of a long shot, but uh, anyway, that'll, we'll get away with it today. Uh, but uh, she was probably uh, this Phoebe, a sister, which is a servant or 
a diakonos in the, in the Greek, uh, of the church, which is at Centuria, uh, that you receive her in the Lord as become saints, and that you assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for she has been a sucker of many and of myself also. So this sister had a responsibility in the church. Uh, she, she obviously uh, helped many people, including the Apostle Paul. I read somewhere uh, that Phoebe was probably responsible for the, um, the sick and the poor. So he had quite a responsibility, and she obviously carried out a responsibility uh, wholeheartedly. She was obviously a bit of a, a shining light, as it were, and, uh, and we are to, uh, well, to, to take this commendation and to, to, to see her example and be inspired by her great effort. If we go on down there in verse um, 3. Uh, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my brethren in Christ, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but unto all churches of the Gentiles. So these are some people who obviously, uh, well, risked their own lives for Paul's benefit, for Paul's uh, to be able to get on with preaching of the gospel. They risked their own necks, he says here. Now, I don't know uh, to what extent that went, went, but obviously they put themselves out for, the, for their brother Paul uh, in a big, big way. So we need, again, to be inspired by their effort. Uh, and uh, verse um, 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved uh, well Epinatus, who is the firstfruits of Acacia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labour on us. So we re read here about a sister who just worked much labour. She put in. She made an effort. She practised the new commandment. That's how she was known, for the labour she put in. By this shall all men know. That's why her name is in here. She's known for her labour amongst her brethren, and Paul commends her for it. Um, perhaps verse, um, uh, just maybe, let's have a look. Verse 9. Verse 9. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute, uh, verse 11. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Uh, verse 12, I want to really get to. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labour in the Lord. Labour in the Lord. Underline that. Salute the beloved Persis, which laboured much in the Lord. So this is constant acknowledgement of their service, of their labour of love for the church. I'm sure they were totally driven by that scripture. Will this help my brother or sister make it with the Lord? Will my efforts help this person get to Jesus Christ where he can be blessed and forgiven and restored and healed and made everywhere whole? You know, that's, that was their driving force. They understood the value of the church. They understood how important the work in the church was and therefore they gave it their all and that's why their name is here. As I said, the Lord has raised up his church to prepare a people ready for his coming. And uh, he's coming. <laughs> he's, he's coming and we need to be ready. We're not here. Uh, if you're new here, don't let this opportunity bypass you. You've got a great opportunity today to receive the Holy Spirit. 
to be right with the Lord when he comes. To those of us who've been around a while, well, we just got to keep on practising that first commandment. Love one another as he loved us. That's how we're known, all the people said. Amen. I hand you back to Pastor Chris, and we remember the Lord now.